most people will think, well, how old am I? You know, I'm, I've had, you know, 50 birthdays, therefore I'm 50. Well, that's your chronological age. But how old are you really? And that's your biological age. And we can look at all sorts of markers, as you know, to see how quickly or not the body is breaking down. Now, what we see in the research is that regular practitioners of this technique age more slowly. The, and it makes sense because we haven't got all that strain and wear and tear and the body has a recovery mechanism which is so profound. That's the voice of Gillian Lavender, a teacher of Vedic meditation. In one sitting of meditation, the nervous system can achieve a level of profound rest many times deeper than sleep. Doesn't that sound just great? I'm Liz Earle. This is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show with the podcast, helping us all to have a better second half. And as you may know by now, I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing a little bit of time in our health and our well-being today. And one of the things I think that all of us are probably aware of is the rise in meditation or any kind of practice where we're asked to sit still and close our eyes and take some deep breaths and be more mindful or maybe go through some ritual or consider, I don't know, focusing on the word om or whatever it is. But there seem to be so many different practices out there. But what are they all? Do they all work? What should we be doing? How long do we need to be doing it? And ultimately, you know, is it just a fad or is it something that is really going to help us? I know so many people who swear by it. I'm really interested to hear the science behind it all. A little bit of evidence-based information as always. Well, people in their better half of life often come to Gillian and her Vedic meditation teaching for a number of, you know, scientifically verified reasons, perhaps better sleep that we've talked about just now, improved energy, reduced stress, improved hormonal balance, particularly important for midlife women, and a reduction in the rate of biological aging. Interesting. So this is going to be a chat about how we can meditate and also why. Should we even be bothering in the first place? Well, Gillian's message is, of course, very simple. Meditation, when done properly, really works. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Well, a very warm welcome, Gillian. And I have to say, you know, just reading the testimonies at the front of your book, Why Meditate? Because it works, is particularly impressive. You know, there are so many people who seem to just gush about the difference that meditating with you has made to their lives. So I'm so excited that you're here and you're going to share so much with us. So welcome. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you know, you're a full-time meditation teacher. So as part of that, you must have worked with literally hundreds of people, if not more, with their own unique set of circumstances and life experiences. But are there any sort of consistent themes that people tend to talk about when they come to see you wanting perhaps to learn more or even to change? Yes. And I, I think there there are a few that stand out. I think that, you know, the majority of people that come to us pretty much everybody really, is looking for change. They know that the status quo isn't serving them. So they're looking for upgrade. It's not like they've got a spare 40 minutes in their day and everything's lovely jovely and, oh, I think I'll learn to meditate. Mm. They're looking for knowledge that's going to help them moving forward. And a couple of things stand out. I think one of the issues that is really prevalent, I would say it's sort of at epidemic uh, levels, is Everybody is tired, chronically tired. And that has a, you know, as you know, in the work that you're doing, that has a knock on effect in so many aspects of our life and our health and our relationships. So I think recognizing that we live in a very demanding world and people are looking for tools that are going to help them to counterbalance that. So the fatigue is one of those things. And I think linked to that, is the fact that many, many people are struggling with sleep. And that is a quite an intertwined sort of an issue, Mm. really. And we can come back to that. So there's there's that aspect. And then I think there's a very broad category, which we, we need to unpick a little bit, but it's this issue of stress. And that creates such a cascade of effects on the psychophysiology and we live again this demanding world is asking us to be very adaptable and to be able to handle a lot and that is really the kind of the widespread issue and so that's where the meditation can be so powerful because it's an antidote to all of that in many ways. And we can explore that. Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to to drill down into those. So what you're saying really is that those two big pillars, sleep and stress, are perhaps factors that bring people to you in the first place. Do you recognise either of those themes in your own story as to how and why you found meditation in the first place? Yes, absolutely. I many, Many years ago, when I learned to meditate, I actually don't think I realized how tired I was. And I see this a lot in our work. You know, I I came to this through the recommendation of a friend. And we're going back 27 something years ago when meditation was not nearly as mainstream as what it is today. And it was a little bit weird. It was a little bit out there. I knew nothing about it. I certainly had some preconceived ideas about it. And I had found out about it through a friend and actually his father, who was an insomniac and had been dealing with sleep issues for much of his adult life. And interestingly, when he retired, it actually ramped up. It became worse. And he learned to meditate and he started sleeping. Now I was sleeping, but I, I have to say, I would, even after what I thought was a so-called good night's sleep, 
would be pushing that snooze button and sort of dragging myself out of bed mm. and not <laughs> feeling bouncy and energetic, you know, and I would see a big dip in the afternoon. I was working intensely. I was traveling a lot. So that was obviously adding to my fatigue. So there was that. And then I think, you know, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. I was in my 20s. I'd been thrown in the deep end with work. And I was kind of trying to cope with all of that by doing more, exercising more, partying more. Just it was it had unsustainability written all over it. So I came to meditation with that sort of a background. And what I noticed very quickly was that I started waking up before my alarm clock and I started noticing that I had a very different energy level that was sustaining itself through the day. Wow. I was sleeping better, probably sleeping less. And this would be mm. the the general direction that I would see. And certainly what I've experienced in my life is, and with our students, is that our reliance on sleep changes, our relationship to sleep changes. Because prior to meditation, it is the primary form of rest. So we can get very desperate if we don't get the good sleep that we want, understandably so. So I noticed that impact in terms of my energy. And I also noticed that I was feeling less anxious um, about the demands that I had going on in my life. You know, I had a lot on my plate and those things didn't change when I learned to meditate. However, what did change was my response to them. And this is the key thing because as we know, running away isn't really a viable option and isn't actually an effective or necessary one. Um, it's how do we meet the demands of life in a way that doesn't cause us to get out of balance, gain more stress, become unwell, and just lose our sort of enthusiasm for life. So those were two things that really stood out for me in the early days. Well, before we get into the science and the benefits of meditation, can we just cover off a few of the myths here, or maybe excuses, if you like, that some people might have about why they don't want to meditate or they think it's not right for them? You know, the first one that comes to my mind, I have to say, is it's difficult. You know, it must take a lot of control over the mind uh -huh. to be able to do it properly. I'm not going to be able to switch my brain off. You know, what are sort of some of the reasons that we might be thinking, oh, gosh, I just can't do that. That's not for me. I think this comes down to a lot of misunderstanding about what meditation is. It's a double edged sword. We live in an age where there are a lot more opportunities to practice some sort of meditation technique. However, that comes with a lot of confusion and some dilution about what meditation is. And many people will come to me, just as you describe, having tried something. Mm. And invariably what they've done is they've tried to not think or they have tried to only think about certain things or to have a certain attitude about the thoughts that they're having. Yeah. You know, clouds passing by and here I am, I can feel the water on my hands and I'm mindfully doing this. And and then they come and they learn to meditate correctly and in this way where we're working with the nature of the mind. And what they find is that, in fact, it is very easy when we do that. If we go against the nature of the mind, it's like if I say to you, okay, Liz, don't think. I want you to take 30 seconds and do not think. It's we impossible. know how <laughs> impossible that yeah, is and, yeah. and end up getting more in a tiz than when you started. Yeah, sure. So the nature of the mind when it's active is to fill up with content. Now, what we do in this technique of 
meditation is we utilize the nature of the mind. We give it something charming. We give it a sound, a pulsation of sound, which we call a mantra. And that mantra holds that promise for the mind. As we think it silently, it becomes increasingly enticing for the mind. And so the mind moves in the direction of that less excitation, that settling down, because we're not moving against the mind, we're working with it. We're allowing the mind to move in that direction. So as a meditator, I am not trying, I am not concentrating, I am not focusing. And so when people come to me and they say, look, I, you know, invariably someone, when I give a talk about meditation, will put their hand up and very bravely say, this all sounds wonderful, but, you know, have you ever had anybody that this has not worked for? Because I think I could be that person. My mind is so busy and I'm all over the shop and I'm, you know, scattered and I really am concerned that I might not be able to do this. And also because they may have come to this with a history of having tried other things and it didn't stick. And then I say, you can do this. You can absolutely, um, practice this technique because it's very different to anything that you've been doing before. And in fact, all you have to do is get out of the way and allow nature to take over. Nature knows best how to organize. We know that. And if we can step out of the way and let go of the control, then the process will unfold beautifully. So most of the time, what it comes down to is that people have been doing something that is difficult. And something that at a fundamental level is not going to be easy. It's not mm. a fault of them. It's a fault of what they've been doing. And it's wonderful that we have so many things out there. And the watch out is that if we've tried something and it perhaps is not completely in alignment with how the mind works and we have a not so good experience, we might think, oh, I'm not cut out for this or yeah, I sure. just would never be able to do this. And the moment we, you know, get past that and we learn about this and learn how to work with the nature of the mind, then it all happens effortlessly. And that's really the key. And it's, a, you know, it's a fundamental principle that we can apply to so much of our life. You know, if we are straining and if something is difficult and if we're coming up against obstacles and brick walls all the time, then nature is giving us a signal. You know, we need to shift something here. Something needs to move. And, and so I would say to that person, it's not you. It's just a question of us getting the technique right. The methodology has been a little bit off and we, and we, need, to, we need to adjust. Um, and everybody can do this. I always say, you know, if you can think yeah. and uh, you're open and you're curious and you're willing to follow a few simple instructions. I'll have you meditating in a few minutes. It's well, that I'm easy. very excited to, to hear more because I think meditation for me anyway, it definitely conjures up images of toned uh, yoga honed bodies sitting cross-legged, which frankly I can't even manage to do. <laughs> and, you know, is that a kind of physical barrier to entry? Do you, do you need to have some sort of special stance or sitting position and and, you know, some sort of physical attribute before you can start? No. Good. <laughs> you need to be able to sit <laughs> yeah. um, comfortably in a chair with the back supported. And you're right, you know, you Google image meditation and you've got people sitting in all these sort of pretzel positions with their legs crossed <laughs> and, you know, and no back support and doing some funny thing right. with their hands. And we think, oh, that's meditation. And Absolutely, that's not what we do. This technique is about letting go. And that means letting go of 
the physiology as well, not having to hold and maintain some posture that actually can be pretty uncomfortable and takes a lot of straining to to kind of pull that off. Mm. We sit in a chair, so I could be sitting as I was the other day on a plane. I can be sitting on a train. I can be anywhere that I can safely close the eyes. Right. I can practice this technique. I don't even need to be in a place where there's not a lot of noise. I can do this. I was sitting the other day at Heathrow. I had my bag on my lap, closed my eyes and meditated. So it's extremely portable and easy mm. in that way. And again, you know, we have these sort of preconceived ideas, but it's actually not relevant to what we do. What about not having enough time in the day? You know, I, I have friends <laughs> of mine who are so keen on meditating and they say, oh, I do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes again in the evening. I feel so amazing for it. You should try it. You know, and I try and I get to about 10 minutes in and my brain is is all over the place and I'm thinking about stuff and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I need to finish soon because I haven't got enough time to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how much time do we need? I mean, presumably it's people with busy racing minds who are the kind of ones who should be doing it really anyway. Yes. I mean, the way that we practice Vedic meditation, which is the technique that I practice and teach, which is the oldest technique that we have on the planet, involves, you know, the recommended domestic daily dose is 20 minutes at the beginning of the day and then 20 minutes late afternoon, early evening. Now, I can tell you hand on heart that when I first heard that, I went into a mild state of panic. I was like, yeah, what? You know, because you know, we can, we get busy and we get, there's always stuff to do. And I had a a bit of a dysfunctional relationship with time and that I always felt like I never had enough. I always felt like I was racing against time. And when I learned to meditate, the return on that investment of those 20 minutes changed. I actually found myself and our students talk about this all the time that it's, as one of my students said, she said, "I, I just don't have time not to meditate. When I do that, I come out and I have more energy and I'm clearer and I'm calmer and I don't feel as scattered. I feel more sure of myself. Everything that I do post meditation is more effective and more efficient. You know, I don't have to read that thing five times before it sinks in. I I sort of have a sense of knowing what to do and we gain time. It certainly was my experience. And I see this with our students all the time. So I think it's, it's this interesting combination of it feels good when I do it. It's easy. And yet most importantly, I feel different afterwards. And that mental clarity is a big one because we are absorbing so much information that's coming at us from so many different directions. So I would say if someone says, I don't have time to meditate, I would say, okay, well, tell me what you're doing. And if we don't have time to have a counterbalance to all of the doing and all of the thinking, then there really is unsustainability in play. And we need to be, we need to be looking at that because how we use our time, it's our most precious resource. You know, someone gives you 20 minutes, you don't get that back. How we use our time, very important. Very important. I'm interested just to pick up on that word scattered. You talk about, you know, scattered minds, scattered brains and scattered thoughts. I'm hearing more and more about particularly adult diagnosis of ADHD. Is this form of meditation something that could be useful? I can imagine somebody with ADHD might actually find it quite difficult to hold on to that idea of, of having a mantra. But what's your experience here? My experience is that it's, it's a very positive one. 
Because this technique is not a technique that involves any focus or concentration, it's actually giving the mind something that is very charming and fascinating and soothing that, you know, people who have busy minds, scattered minds, whether they have been diagnosed in some way, whether they're simply just overwhelmed and stressed are going to find this very doable and very easy because they're not having to strain. Yeah, we have very good, very good results with that. And I do think that we live in an age where people are so, there's so much to deal with, you know, mentally and physically, but certainly we have so much information coming in that that is giving them a kind of a pause on all of that. It's giving you a break from all of that and allowing for that rewiring of the of the brain to happen and energizing you, just giving you that energy, which also has a big impact in terms of cognitive functioning because we know when we're tired, that has a, a negating effect as well. So yeah, very positive results working with people from, you know, in their teens all the way through and I think so much of it comes back to that sense of overload and over excitation in the system and by being able to do the opposite de-excite the mind and the body it brings things back into balance. That's such a good point. And I want to ask you actually a couple of things about the different types of meditation here. There seem to be lots of different types, perhaps all falling under one umbrella, maybe, I don't know, you know, is this sort of just a kind of cynical way of cashing in by creating something new when essentially all forms are the same. And you talk about Vedic meditation with a mantra. Is that like transcendental meditation, you know, that we first heard about when the Beatles went off and sat with Maharishi in India and then came back and everyone was talking about TM? You know, is it a very similar thing? Are are all meditation techniques basically the same or not? This was a big impetus for me to write the book because, as I said, we live in an age now where we have access to a lot of things that come under that banner of meditation And not all meditation techniques are the same. And it's very important that we get a little bit more rigorous around our understanding of this. So there are techniques that involve a lot of concentration and focus. That would be one category. Um, So we could be focusing on a candle flame. We could be focusing on our breathing. The idea is that there's a point of focus. And if I can hold that focus, then I'll be able to let go of all those other thoughts and drop into some state that is supposedly, you know, more enjoyable than the one I'm in. So that's one category. And and the people that come to me having kind of tried that find it pretty hard going, you know, because again, it comes back to what I was saying. You're really asking the mind to do something very difficult. You know, you're asking it to sort of hold and lock in when actually our mind is moving around a lot and it's the nature of our mind. To do so. The second category that I would call is open monitoring awareness. Also, you know, you will have heard of mindfulness techniques. Yes, that kind of comes yeah. under this category. So here, you know, we're working at the level of the mind. We're thinking, we're thinking about our thoughts, you know, we're noticing them. And then we're, it has generally the aim of sort of staying in the present moment. I want to be mindful. This is what mindfulness is. It involves thinking or not thinking or having an attitude about thinking in order to be present. Again, it takes effort and it takes effort to put the attention on that in that way. 
Um, many of the techniques that are based around technology and apps will involve this or some of the guided meditations as well. Then there's a third category, which is what I teach, um, Vedic meditation and there's transcendental meditation, the same this comes under the same area. And these are what I call automatic self-transcending techniques. So a lot in there, the word automatic being very important because what it means is it's going to happen. It's automatic. <laughs> it's not like you have to do anything. And this notion of transcendence, and it's an important one because in Vedic meditation, and this is a technique that is thousands and thousands of years old, as I said, the oldest technique that we have on the planet. What happens in, this, in that technique is that we transcend or step beyond thinking to arrive at the baseline of consciousness, which is a state of being. It is a state that is beyond thinking, beyond the mind. We've stepped beyond the faintest impulse of a thought or the mantra, and we arrive at that least excited state of consciousness. And that state is there for everyone. However, what most people are lacking is a technique and, and an orienting device to experience that regularly and systematically. When we know how and when we have that mantra, it is ridiculously easy. It's there, it's not creating a new state, it's simply allowing us to de-excite and experience who we really are. We're not human thinkings and we're not human doings, we're human beings. And that counterbalance is what really is so important. Otherwise we get caught in all the thinking and all the doing and we don't have any sort of any counterbalance to that. And that that's what leads to all sorts of strain. So yeah, it's important that we get clear about this because otherwise we might, you know, it's when we look at the science and we'll talk about that, but, you know, just simply saying, well, all meditations are going to deliver a brain signature of X, Y, Z. Well, no, they're not actually, you know, what we see in the brain signature of somebody practicing mindfulness is very different than what we would see somebody practicing a focused attention concentration technique versus the transcending technique that I teach. So yeah, it's it's time for us to be a little bit more rigorous around this. Okay, so let's drill into that then. Let's look at the science and try and understand mm -hmm. that behind meditation. You know, what is happening in the brain and in our nervous system when we meditate? What's actually going on? Well, let's, let's relate it to what we actually do. So when we sit down, when I sat down this morning, before my daughter woke up, it was early, I sat down and I meditated. So I closed my eyes, I had my back supported, and I, I thought of my mantra. I brought that sound to my mind silently. Now what happens is that the mind is very fascinated by the sound, and the mantra has a very important attribute, primary attribute, that when you think it silently, it starts to self-refine. So led by the nature of the mind, as that became fainter and softer in my mind, it becomes increasingly charming. The mind jumps onto that vehicle, as it were, and it starts to settle down. Now, as it starts to become very faint and very subtle in the mind, the body also follows. So we have two things going on. The mind is de-exciting and the body is starting to rest very, very deeply. So this has a very profound impact in terms of how our brain is working and also the biochemistry of the body, the hormones of body, the resting level of the body. So let's look at the brain first. 
Well, what we know is that in that very settled state, we move into the state of what I call restful alertness. And so what we see, particularly in the brain signature, and this is happening immediately in meditators. It's not like we have to do this for six months before we've nailed it. You know, this is happening right from the get-go. What we see is a very holistic brain signature. Now, what I mean by that is that it's very balanced and particularly active in this higher human executive processing center, which is in the front part of the brain. This is called the prefrontal cortex. It is often referred to as the CEO of the brain because it governs our processing of information coming in our environment, absolutely crucial when we want to make good decisions and we all want to make good decisions. Now it's interesting when you look at the research, there was a study done on college students in the US looking at what happens to the prefrontal cortex, this higher executive processing center, when they are tired and when they are stressed. And what happens is basically it goes offline. And then we revert into parts of the brain, like the back brain, the amygdala kicking in with the emotions, the base emotions of fear and anger, which is not what we want to be driving our decision making. And so this higher executive processing center, we want that to be online. We want that to be engaged. And this is what meditation is doing. We're seeing a shift towards alpha brainwave activity, which is associated with a state of restful alertness. And this is an important point because the nervous system is deeply rested. There's a lot of coherence and orderliness between the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. We call this bihemispheric coherence. This is associated with peak moments of insight and creativity. And we see this reflected in creativity studies. So we have this combination of orderliness and yet liveliness. And it's, you know, the thing about our brains is why it's so important is that they are malleable. As you know, you know, what you do with your brain changes it. And somebody might learn a musical instrument or they, they might learn another language. And that's asking those interneuronal connections to, to form and embed in a certain way. And meditation is doing this. So when we look at the longitudinal studies, we can see that this optimized brain signature starts to become the new normal. This has a really big impact in terms of memory, short and long-term memory, concentration, learning ability. You know, so often we're sort of told that, or oh, you get to a certain age and that's it, you've maxed out. Well, actually, that's not what we see in meditators. So that clarity um, starts to become the new normal because the brain is changing based on what we're doing with it. Meditation rewires the brain and it rewires it in a very what I would call normal, not average experience, but normal. And that big brain that our mothers pushed out, you know, that's, you know, neuroscientists talk about the fact that on average, people are using a fraction of their full mental potential. You know, um, is it 2%? Is it 10%? Either way, it's not enough. Gosh. You know, we want to be optimizing our brain yeah. functioning. And so this is very important when we think about how we're able to optimize this. And yeah, so that's a big side of it. Okay. It, it seems to me that a lot of what you're saying about this form of meditation and why it's so different and why it's so powerful, perhaps compared to something basic like mindfulness, comes down to the importance of the mantra. Mm -hmm. this, this word that you are thinking inside over and over again. Where do these mantras come from? How, how do we get them? And 
you know, how fundamental really are they to the whole process? They are fundamental. Let's back up a little bit. So this technique is called Vedic meditation. Now that means of the Veda, V-E-D-A. And Veda is a Sanskrit term, this ancient language that we have that refers to a body of knowledge, the Vedas. The Veda is where we get yoga, it's where we get Ayurveda, that ancient system of natural healthcare, it's where we get meditation. And this body of knowledge is thousands and thousands of years old, and it has been handed down in an oral tradition. There is some written down text, but ultimately it's been passed down orally. So these mantras, these sounds, and I, I actually refer to them as sounds rather than words because they have no meaning. Right. However, it is a particular pulsation of sound that has a known effect. There are many, many different types of mantras. There are mantras that Ayurvedic chefs will use when they're preparing food or mantra that, you know, you will have seen some mantras are used in a setting where people in groups are chanting and that's having a different effect on their psychophysiology and on the environment. This particular classification of mantra that we use in Vedic meditation is an orienting device. It's a transcending device for the mind. And these sounds were not made up. They were cognized many thousands and thousands of years ago and have been passed down. There is no belief system. There is no, it's not a religion. It's simply a body of knowledge that has stood the test of time. And I think that in itself is very interesting. You know, this is not something that was dreamed up and, you know, by some sociologists in the 70s. This is this has been around and has been practiced for so long. And so the mantra is something that is very particular. And our job as teachers is to be able to allocate the correct vibration, the correct vibratory sound to the individual who has their own vibration. So we will look at mind-body type, we will look at life stage, we will look at even the stage that society is in over time will impact what mantras are used. And so our job is to be able to choose the right mantra for the individual. And, And that is a very, it's nothing weird, it's nothing subjective, it's very clear, very objective process. And uh, if you're learning this correctly from somebody who's teaching correctly, you will get the right sound that has that resonance for you and has that immediate effect of settling down the mind and and becoming uh, fainter and softer in the mind. Well, don't go away because I really want to get into the details now about how our minds and our bodies are connected in all this. And also things, you know, you touched on before, like the role that hormones play in all of this, because it's all just so fascinating. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, for every state of mind, I think there's a corresponding state in the body. Let's chat, Gillian, about how mind and body interconnect. And as a result of that, that meeting point, how great is meditation in the mind really manifesting itself in the body in terms of a positive impact? Yes, it's such an important point because... We know the science, you know, you are as you think, you know, you are what you think. And this is not woo-woo, this is measurable. Now, when I'm teaching, I make a distinction between mind and body. If we were being very exacting about it, actually, we would say there isn't a distinction. It is all one thing. However, let's run with that distinction for the moment, just to sort of really emphasize this point. So in meditation, led by the nature of the mind and, and this vehicle, we settle down the mind. The mind... Uh, quietens down and as is the mind so is the body so what happens is that within a few minutes of sitting there on the train meditating the body is in a state of rest which is unprecedented and this is very important this is really key to all of the changes that we see as a consequence of practicing this technique every day this rest is many times deeper than sleep and we're looking at this based on, because there's many different ways that we can look at the resting state of a, of a structure. We can look at, you know, of, of a nervous system. We can look at the heart rate slowing down. We see that. What we see in, in Vedic meditation is a drop in the metabolic rate. And I, I'm not talking about fat metabolism. I'm talking about oxygen metabolism, which is the primary fuel that we have in our body. So within a few minutes, my nervous system is resting deeper than the deepest point in sleep last night. I'm not conked out, I'm, I'm sitting upright, thinking this meaningless sound, and yet I'm getting a level of rest which is phenomenal, profound. And when our bodies rest, many things happen. 
they heal, they uh, re-engineer, they restructure, they rebalance, and they purify. You know, we are not a machine that keeps going for 100 years and never stops. We, every 24 hours, we have a pattern of resting and recovering and re-energizing and taking that into the next round of activity. And we know that our actions are going to be affected by how well rested we are. It's very simple. You know, somebody goes through three nights of not good sleep, that is going to be affecting their waking state. Mm. It's going to be affecting their patience levels. It's going to be affecting their decision-making, their ability to empathize, everything. Their perceptual acuity, everything is impacted by being well-rested or not. So when, as a meditator, I'm getting these two mega doses of rest each day, it allows for a whole range of changes. And I think coming back to what we were saying earlier about stress, you know, it is the antidote to stress. Stress happens when we are faced with a demand and there is pressure and there's overload and we're not able to meet that demand in a balanced way. And that could be a traffic jam, that could be someone leaving us a message that we didn't want or that we'd rather not receive, it could be anything. And we get stressed. Now, how do we get rid of stress? Well, we have to do the opposite of what happened when we, when we took that stress on board. This is where meditation is really so the ultimate way for us to purify the system so quickly because we can get a level of rest that allows for the system to clear out. It's the opposite of what we did when we took that on board. Mm. So that means, you know, we are not in this kind of chronic fight flight state most of the time, which is in my experience, how most people are dealing with life and experiencing life, whether they know that or not. Um, this is kind of going on behind the scenes. So, you know, their blood pressure might be elevated mm -hmm. or, their cortisol levels are up, the, the adrenals are pumping out norepinephrine, the blood lactate levels are up, all these things that when they're in sort of low-grade fight-flight, your know, fight-flight reaction, the stress reaction, as we know, is has relevance. But in this modern age, we don't actually get to play that out. You know, we don't experience acute stress so much like our ancestors did. We have more of these sort of chronic demands that we're facing one thing after another and so that builds up and it's kind of like steam in a pressure cooker you know it's going to come out it's fascinating you talking about the hormonal response and things like lactic acid you know i have read that lactic acid levels go down physically in people who meditate you know there is that biochemical reaction happening within our body which is very empowering if we do feel stressed to know that a 20 minute meditation session will actually neutralize that so we don't carry that through then through the rest of the day and then it disrupts our sleep and so the cycle goes on you know we can just we can just knock it out of the way straight away without it building up, which is fantastic. And it's free, you know? Yeah, you know, and it's it's immediate, you know. And, and we know that acid, what does acid do? Acid corrodes, it wears the system down. So when we're highly stressed or when we're in that kind of chronic stress, there's more inflammation, there's more of that excitation in the system. And so you know, that is wearing us out and the body's breaking down more quickly. And this is why when we look at the impact on aging, 
with this weekend because most people will think well how old am I you know I'm I've had you know 50 birthdays therefore I'm 50 well that's your chronological age but how old are you really and that's your biological age and we can look at all sorts of markers as you know to see how quickly or not the body is breaking down now what we see in the research is that regular practitioners of this technique age more slowly And it makes sense because we haven't got all that strain and wear and tear. And the body has a recovery mechanism, which is so profound. And so then we don't have those elevated lactate levels, which are associated with high levels of anxiety, for example. We have a more balanced digestive system because, you know, the system isn't in that prepped for danger mode. It has a big impact on our immunity you know, when you're in even low-grade fight-flight, then that changes the priorities of your immune system. And things like fighting viruses, which we're really familiar with right now, um, or dealing with overproduction of cells, that all goes on the back burner because, you know, now the body's pumping out antibodies for some potential bacterial incursion, but it's not relevant, you know, and so that's wearing our system down. So yes, it's having an impact. Would you say then that meditation can actually keep us biologically younger? You know, and I say this as somebody who's working in an area of helping all midlife women particularly have a better second half and looking at longevity and aging as part of that. You know, is this something that we seriously in midlife should be really bringing to front of mind and considering about bringing to our lives? Without question. And it's going to work in two ways. It's going to deal with the legacy. It is going to clear out old stress and old trauma and old fatigue. Then it's going to set you up for having more ability to deal with life as it is now and going forward. It's absolutely key to, to our experience of life, I would say. Well, Gillian, I am so uh, just overwhelmed with the the potential there and the the promise really that is being offered for something that we can all do with no equipment on our own, as you say, wherever we are on a train, in a car, on a plane. Gillian, thank you so much for your time today. And just to remind everybody, your book is called Why Meditate? Because it works. It's very impressive. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Liz. I've really enjoyed this. Well, a huge thanks to Gillian for her time and expertise. What do you make of that? Are you going to look more into how meditation could maybe fit into your life now? I wonder. I think I might. I've been doing all sorts of slightly interesting breathing practices and taking time out. But, you know, maybe, maybe I need to investigate getting a mantra, being a little bit more disciplined with this Vedic form of meditation. Let me know what you think. Anyway, I'm on Instagram. I'm at Lizelle Me and the team here are at Lizelle Wellbeing. Well, in a similar vein, we had a chat recently about reducing anxiety with hypnotherapist Paul McKenna. And lots of you have found that really useful. Great feedback. Vicky says here she loved, quote, every minute of it and is now doing a deep dive into tapping and Paul's videos. His voice is just so 
relaxing and hypnotizing, she says. Yeah, isn't it just? It really is. Well, if you prefer, you can listen back to Paul's episode or any other episode, actually ad-free now, if you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee. Once you're a subscriber, you get early access to all those ad-free episodes as well. Well, always love hearing your feedback. There was another really great email that pinged its way into our inbox this week from Caroline, who says, Hi Liz, I've been following you and your podcast ever since lockdown. I am healthier and happier now at 54 than I have ever been. And I've learned so much from your sharing of knowledge. You're an inspiration for us midlifers. And my Monday morning treat this week has been a chill in bed with my Lizelle magazine. Thanks, Caroline. Really nice to hear. And I hope that I am in your ears this week as well for the weekly dose of the Lizelle Wellbeing podcast. Well, until next week, go very well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Nushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag. A watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.